Can everyone to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? For our study this evening. It is great to be able to have our services start to go back to normal again. And uh, in fellowship with uh, Mount Beauty and, and Wagga again. So praise God and, and uh, thanks for coming, making the effort to come down again this evening. It's great to see each one here. And uh, tonight's um, message is, is about being encouraged down but not out. And I might just, um, we'll, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses of this chapter, so I might just read that as a um, introduction. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Acadia. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted together. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also be consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch as we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death on ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that we will yet deliver us. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gifts bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Let's just open in prayer. Well, God, we thank you for... Your scripture is is laid out to us, Lord, and gives us application in all areas of life. And we thank you for um, the Apostle Paul and what he's laid out here and and the experiences that he went through that we might also be able to learn from that. And we pray that you would just um, work here this evening through your word, that your Holy Spirit would be working in me and each one's heart this evening, Lord, that um, you would be glorified and honoured by the word that's put forth this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level of lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means, I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. So wrote the man who was called in his day the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world, Dr. John Henry Jowett. He pastored leading churches. He preached to huge congregations. He wrote books that were bestsellers, but he had struggles. 
Uh, and, and I suppose sometimes we think of that, and especially our leaders, we think that they're constant um, on, the, on, on the increase on the spiritual um, plane and, and cruising along okay. And that's who he's saying. He, they, they seem to imagine that he had no ups and downs, but he definitely did. Another quote, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I would that I hope none of you ever get such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Those words were spoken in a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, whose ministry in London made perhaps one of the greatest preachers England had ever produced. Discouragement is no respecter of persons. In fact, discouragement seems to attack the successful probably far more than the unsuccessful. For the higher they climb, the farther that they can fall. And uh, we're not surprised then when we read of the great apostle Paul was pressed out of measure and he despaired of life. Great as he was in character and ministry, Paul was still human just like us. And we can go through times of discouragement and and uh, we have these, those ups and downs in our, our lives. And we, um, sometimes we need to, to be encouraged. We need to be uplifted. We need to, to know that it's normal um, to be able to go through down times as well as up times. Paul could have escaped these burdens, um, except that he had a call um, from God in verse 1 there. It, it talks about how he's in the will of God and, and with Timothy um, and to work in that, that church of Corinth. And uh, he founded that church there at Corinth and he ministered there for a, a year and a half. And we can re- you can read about that back in Acts chapter 18. And after that, he was, after that 18 months that he was there and when he left, there was a serious problem that arose in the church. Uh, after his departure and he he sent Timothy back um, to go and deal with that problem and that, you can read about that in 1 Corinthians and he wrote he wrote that letter uh, in 1 Corinthians to help deal with that issue unfortunately matters grew worse in the church and he had to make a painful visit to Corinth to confront the troublemakers and still no solution and then he wrote a severe letter uh, which was delivered by his associate Titus. Uh, and, uh, and then after a great deal of distress, Paul finally met Titus and he got a good report that the problem had been resolved in the church. And it was then that he wrote um, the letter we call Second Corinthians. So there's a little bit of background on, on where we got to to get to, to this book. And he wrote the letter for several reasons. First, he wanted to encourage the church to forgive and restore the member who had caused all the trouble. He also wanted to explain his change of plans and to enforce his authority as an apostle. Finally, he wanted to encourage the church to share in the special relief offering that he was going to take up for needy saints in Judea. One of the key words in this letter is comfort or encouragement. And the Greek word means call to one side to help. So call to one side to help. I remember I was at a work function and uh, was our chair of the board at that stage. He was um, disabled from from birth and he needed a bit of a help 
um, to get up onto the stage and I was called to his side to help him get up on, on stage and that's uh, a picture of that comfort and encouragement called to one side to help and this verb is used 18 times in this letter and the noun 11 times um, and in spite of um, all the trials he experienced Paul was able by the grace of God to write a letter saturated with encouragement so what was Paul's secret to victory when he was experienced the pressures and, and trials of life? Well, his secret was God. When you find yourself discouraged and ready to quit, we need to get our attention off ourselves um, and to focus it back on God. Folk, uh, get it out of our own difficult experience um, and onto him. But out of that experience, Paul tells us that we can find encouragement in God. And he gives us three simple reminders. The first one, uh, it's in the the summary you've got there, is remember what God is to you. We'll be looking at verse 3 here. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our mercies, and the God of all comfort. So Paul begins this letter with a doxology. He certainly could not sing about his circumstances, but he could sing about the God who is in control of all circumstances. Paul had learned that praise is an important factor in achieving victory over discouragement and depression. So praise changes things uh, as much as prayer changes things. So praise changes things as much as prayer changes things. So we need to praise him, firstly, in this first part of the verse, um, because he is God. It says there, blessed be God. And you find this phrase, blessed be God, in two other places in the New Testament. The first one is in Ephesians 1.3, and the other one is in 1 Peter 1.3. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul praised God for what he did in the past, when he chose us in Christ. So he was praising God for all the things that he'd done all in the past. Um, And and blessed us with all spiritual blessing. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter praised God for the future blessings and a living hope. Um, And so he, he was looking forward. So one was looking back and praising God for all the things that he did. The other was looking forward and and praising God for all the things he's going to do. But this one, uh, here in um, 2 Corinthians, Paul praised God for the present blessings, for what God was accomplishing then and there. During the horrors of the 30-year war, I don't know whether you know where the 30-year war is, over in Central Europe many years ago, there was a pastor there, Martin Rinkard, who faithfully served the people in Ellenburg, Saxony. He conducted as many, four, as many as 40 funerals a day. When Pastor was talking about the funerals this morning, service it reminded me of this Pastor Martin Rinkard, who had 40 funerals a day, a total of over 4,000 during his ministry. Yet out of this devastating experience, he wrote a table grace uh, for his children, which today we use as a hymn of thanksgiving. And we'll sing it as a closing hymn tonight. Um, But a verse in there says, Now thank we all our God, 
with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices. So we need to praise him because he is God. The second part of that verse 3 is um, we need to praise him because he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because Jesus, it is because of Jesus Christ that we can call God Father and even approach him as his children. God sees us in his son and loves us as he loves his son. We are beloved of God because of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and because we have accepted the beloved. Whatever the Father did for Jesus when he was ministering on this earth, he is able to do for us today. We are dear to the Father because his Son is dear to him. And we are citizens of the kingdom of his dear Son, the Son of his love. We are precious to the Father and he, um, and he will see to it that the pressures of this life will not destroy us. So we need to praise him because he is God. We need to praise him because he is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to praise him because he is the father of mercies. To the Jewish people, the, the phrase the father of means the originator of. So the originator of something. So Satan, he was the originator of lies. We can read that in John 8. And because of um, these, um, because lies originated with Satan, so he's the father of he's the father of lies. According to Genesis four twenty one, uh, Jubal was the father of musical instruments, because he originated the pipe and the harp. So God is the father of all mercies, because all mercy originates with Him. And we can only and it can only be secured by him. So he is the father of or he is the originator of all mercy. God in his grace gives us what we do not deserve. So in his grace, he gives us what we do not deserve, and in his mercy, he does not give us what we do deserve. So you get that? So in his grace, he gives us what we do not deserve. And in his mercy, he does not give us what we do deserve. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Nehemiah 9.19 says, God's mercy is manifold. Psalm 25 says, God's mercies are tender. Numbers 14.19 says, God's mercies are great. They're manifold, they're tender, they're great. The Bible frequently speaks of the multitude of God's mercies. And so inexhaustible is the supply of God's mercy to us. Have a look through the book of Psalms. Scattered throughout all of Psalms uh, over and over again of um, those psalmists praising God for his manifold mercies, for all the mercies of God. He is the father of all those mercies when we need to praise him for that Next, we need to praise him because he is the God of all comfort. The end of verse 3 there. The God of all comfort. The word comfort 
and consolation, which is the same root word in the Greek, are repeated ten times in this passage that we read this evening. We must not think of uh, comfort in terms of sympathy, because sympathy can weaken us uh, instead of strengthen us. God does not pat us on the head and give us a lolly and a toy and, and sort of distract us and send us on our way to try and take our attention off our troubles. No, he puts strength um, into our heart so that we can face those trials and triumph over them. It doesn't just sort of change our, our view, our attention and, and look somewhere else. He actually in, invests tr- um, strength into us so that we are able to get through it. Our English word comfort comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. The Greek word means to come alongside and help, which we discussed before. It is the same word used for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. God's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to comfort us, to to come alongside us, to be able to encourage us, to strengthen us, to uplift us, to keep us going. God has given that to all believers. God can encourage us by his word and through his spirit, but sometimes he uses other believers as well to, be, to give us encouragement that we need. So we can, he can encourage us through the word, but he can also encourage us through other believers. Many times been encouraged by other believers within the church to be able to come along and see how you're going or give you a, a random phone call or something like that and lift you up and, and, and give you a boost. And we can do that we can do that to others as well. God can en- encourage us through his word, but we can also be encouraged by other believers. How wonderful it would be if we all had the nickname Barnabas, son of encouragement. We we know some people are a bit of a downer and they can be negative and whinge about stuff all the time and and you walk away from a conversation and you're thinking, oh, wow, boy, that sucked the life out of me. And then other people, it can be a real encouragement and a real uplifting. And you think, oh, well, that was great. He's happy and and, uh, positive and smiling and and all those sort of things. And that's the sort of person you, you want to be able to be to other people to be able to encourage them. When you find yourself discouraged because of difficult circumstances, it is easy to look at yourself, look at your feelings, focus on your problems that are immediately around you. But the first step that we must take um, is to look by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and realise that God is with us. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Where does it come from? God, who made heaven and earth. That's where our help comes from. Can't get any bigger than that. So, we also need to be able to... Um, so that was our, our first point, is, um, is looking at what God is to you. The second point... Um, is remember what God does for you. And the first thing he does is that he permits trials to come. There are ten basic words for suffering in the Greek language. 
and Paul used five of them in this letter. The most frequently used is thalipsis, which means narrow, confined, under pressure. And in this letter it's translated affliction, tribulation and trouble. Paul felt hemmed in by the, the difficult situations, the circumstances he was in, and the only, only thing he could do was to look up. So I think of that, um, thalipsis, narrow, confined and under pressure. And I think of a ravine, you've got sheer cliff walls up either side of you, it's starting to get narrower, and there might be someone chasing you or something, and you're trying to get away, and it's getting narrower and narrower. You're feeling the pressure behind you. And you're like, where can I go? I can't get out of here. The only thing you can do is look up. Look up to be able to get out. Maybe climb up out of that ravine and, and get away. And that's, that's what Paul was, was doing. In Second Corinthians um, verse... Uh, the chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6 here, uh, Paul used the word pathema, which is suffering, which also is used uh, when they were describing the suffering of our Saviour in First Peter. And there are some sufferings that we endure simply because we are human and subject to pain. But there are other sufferings that come because we are God's people and we want to serve him. We must never think that trouble is an accident. For the believer, everything is a divine appointment. There are, there are only three possible outlooks that a person can, can take when it comes to the trials of life. Uh, those are, if our trials are a product of fate or chance, well, our only resource is really to give up. If everything's just random and this is just what fate has dealt with us, if that's your outlook, yeah, no wonder you can't explain things. If our trials, um, um, then if, if they're fate, we, we can't look at that. But if, if we want to try and control, so our life is up to our own. We, we control our life. We set the course that we're on. That, that's another outlook that you can have. Is that you've got to be able to control everything and, and you're, you're the master of your own destiny and where you're going to, do, to go and what you're going to do. Well, that's probably going to be hopeless as well because you can't control everything. <laughs> There's 7 million people out there. There's random stuff that just happens um, out there. You've got no control of You can't control everything. So that's a hopeless outlook as well. So the third and only reasonable outlook that you can have is but if God is in control if God is in control and we trust him there's a key part there then we can overcome circumstances with his help so do you believe that do you believe that God is in control and that we can trust him we can overcome circumstances around our lives but only through his help that we can do that God encourages us all in our tribulations by teaching us from his word that it is he who permits trials to come. So he allows trials to come. Uh, in verse 8 here of chapter 1, uh, he, he is in control of trials as well. So he allows them, but he also controls them. 
So we're under great, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. So he was despairing of life. Paul here was weighed down like a beast of burden with a load too heavy to bear. And sometimes we can, we can feel like that. We've got this heavy load on us and we can't seem to get above it. We don't think we've got the strength to be able to carry on. But God knew just how much Paul could take and he kept control of the situation. We do not know the specific trouble was that Paul was going through, but it was great enough to make Paul think that he was going to die. Whether it was peril from his many enemies uh, that he had, whether it was serious illness, a specific satanic attack, we don't know exactly what it was. But what we do know is that God controlled uh, the circumstances and he protected his servant. When God puts his children into the furnace... He keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. So the thermostat controls the heat, the thermometer, you can see what the heat's at. I thought that was a good picture. So he allows that stuff to happen and he's regulating how hot it's getting um, for what you can handle. Paul may have despaired of life, but God did not despair of Paul. So God is in control of our trials. The third point there is God enables us to bear our trials. Verse 9. The first thing he must do is show us how weak we are in ourselves. Paul was a gifted and experienced servant of God who had been through many kinds of trials. Surely you think that all of those experiences would be sufficient for him to face these new difficulties and be able to overcome them. But God wants us to trust in him. He doesn't want us to to trust in our own gifts or our abilities, our experiences or any spiritual reserves we might think that we've got. Just about the time we feel self-confident and able to meet the enemy, we're going to fail miserably. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you and I die to self, then God's resurrection power can get to work. It was when Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead physically that God's resurrection power enabled them to have the promised son. They were too old to have kids. They, They said that to God. We're too old. God and so it got them to the point where they handed it over. So this is impossible. Uh, only God can do something, and then He can take over. However, dying to self does not mean idle complacency, doing nothing, expecting God to do everything. You can be sure that that wasn't what Paul did either. He just didn't hand it over to God and just wait and say, "Okay, God, show me what to do." Um, do whatever you're going to do. Paul prayed. Paul searched the scriptures. Paul consulted with his associates and he trusted God uh, to be able to do the work. He didn't just sit around waiting for stuff to happen. He got out there and and was um, seeking what the Lord would want him to do and how to get through that. The God who raises uh, the dead is sufficient for any difficulty of our life. 
He is able, but we must be available. And that we, we can't control the situation. We've got to give it over to the Lord. We've got to be able to bend the knee and, and hand that, that over to God and recognise that we're not able to get through this unless God helps us. Paul did not deny the way he felt, nor does, does God want you to deny your emotions. As he spoke about there, he says that he was troubled on every side. There were fightings within. He had these great fears. Um, and he had the, the phrase, a sentence of death, which could have been a, a reference to a, an official verdict um, that perhaps was a, an order to be able to arrest Paul and, and execute him. So he, he, was feeling, he was feeling bad. And he didn't deny that. And we've got it in the scripture. He, he felt like he was going to die. And he uh, de, de, was depressed and feeling um, he wasn't going to be able to continue on. And um, he had the perils of his own countrymen and talk about the, the Jews who hated him uh, for what he was doing and the conversion of people to, to Christianity, to Christ, and uh, it must not be overlooked in those list of dangers that he would have been facing at the time. But God is able to, uh, he enables us to be able to bear our trials. We are strong enough to be able to get through it. But God also delivers us from our trials. Verse 10. Paul saw God's hand of deliverance where, whether he looked back, around or ahead. The word Paul used use means to help out of distress, to save and protect. God does not want to. Uh, God does not always deliver us immediately, nor in the same way. So God can deliver us, but He may not deliver us immediately. And He, the way He gets someone through something one one way with one person, might not necessarily be the same with us. Some God, sometimes uh, God delivers us from our trials and at other times he delivers us in our trials. So sometimes we can be taken out and the trial can go away. And other times he can just help to be able to get us through those things, through the trials that we've had to be able to go through, to be able to strengthen us. God's deliverance was in response to Paul's faith as well as the faith of the praying people in Corinth. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. We can cry out to God. We need to be able to be humble enough to be able to hand it over to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help deliver me from my trial. And when we cry out to the Lord, the Lord hears us. The Lord is, is looking for us to be able to, to rely on him, to be able to hand it over to him. So God delivers us from our trials. God is also glorified through our trials, verse 11. When Paul reported what God had done for him, a great chorus of praise and thanksgiving went up from the saints um, to the throne of God. The highest service that you and I can render on earth is to bring glory to God. And sometimes that service um, is going to involve suffering. The gift bestowed refers to Paul's deliverance from death. And what a great deliverance that, that is, to be delivered for out, of, out of death. 
And Paul was never ashamed to ask Christians to pray for him. In at least seven of his letters, he mentioned his great need of prayer. Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, 1 and 2, Philemon. Um, Many books he he cried out um, telling people that that he needs prayer, people praying for him. We We can be a bit prideful and think that we're strong enough and we don't ask for prayer. Sometimes we need to be able to ask for prayer to be able to, to be strengthened, to be uplifted. And we can encourage each other by praying for each other as well. Even when they don't ask for prayer, we can, we can pray for each other and, and the Lord would strengthen and, and keep them and, and, and uphold them. Paul and the believers in Corinth were helping each other. Paul was helping them by praying for them and building them up and, and the believers at Corinth were praying for him and building him up as well. It was working both ways. And through that, God was able to be glorified. Uh, a missionary uh, told a story about of a miraculous deliverance of his daughter from what was diagnosed as a, as a fatal disease. At the very time the girl was so ill um, that she, they thought she was going to die, several friends in the United States were praying for the family. And God answered prayer and healed the girl. The greatest help that we can give to God's servants is to help um, together by prayer. We can be praying for our saints here, for those who are serving across the other side of the world. We can't physically go there, especially at the moment. We can't go anywhere. We, We can't go and see them. We can't go and help serve them in physical work with them on the mission field. But we can pray here. We can do that anywhere and, and help, uh, help each other through, through that. Um, the, the greatest help we can give is that helping together in prayer. The word uh, purgio translated helping together, is used only here in the Greek um, New Testament and is composed of three words, with, under, work. And it's a picture of labourers um, uh, working together under a burden, to, working together to get the job accomplished. It's encouraging to know that the Holy Spirit also assists us in our praying and helps us to, to, to carry that load. Working, working together. We can um, work together on a project Many times we've had working bees here or a camp or different things and we're, we're working together and it's, it's an encouragement. You come away from the day exhausted and, uh, but there's a sense of achievement in what you've done and a sense of work for the Lord and fellowship together and it is a building up and an encouragement to be able to, to work in those times where you've laboured together and uh, helping together. And that, that it's uplifts you, it encourages you. God works out his purpose in the trials of life if we yield to him, if we trust him and obey what he tells us to do. Difficulties can increase our faith and strengthen our prayer lives. So we can go through those things to be able to help strengthen us, increase our our reliance on the Lord. Difficulties can draw us closer uh, to other Christians as they share the burdens with us. Difficulties can be used to glorify God. So when you find yourself in the trials of life, remember what God is to you and remember what God does to you. Finally, we need to remember what God does through you. Verses 4 to 7 
in this chapter. In times of suffering, most of us are prone to think only of ourselves and we forget others. I mentioned it before, we, we look inward. We don't, we don't look out, we don't look up. We, we look inward. And we become cisterns instead of channels. So we, become a, we, we hold on to everything. We're a, a jug instead of being a pipe where we can transfer everything, everything through. Yet one reason for our trials is so that you and I might learn to be channels of blessings and comfort and encouragement to others. Because God has encouraged us, we're able to then be able to go and encourage other people. Another preacher, Dr. George W. Truett, who pastored the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, probably 50, probably 70 years ago now, um, in one of his sermons, he told about an unbelieving couple whose baby died suddenly. I had a young baby, it'd be awful to, you, to lose your young child. And Dr. Truett conducted the funeral uh, for, for this, and Lady had the joy of seeing them both, the, the parents of, of um, the one who lost the baby, um, trust Jesus as their saviour. Many months later, a young mother lost her baby. Another, another young mother lost her baby. And again, Dr. Truett was called to bring her comfort. But nothing he shared with her seemed to be able to help her. But at the funeral service, the newly converted mother stepped to the girl's side and said, I passed through this and I know what you are passing through. God called me and through the darkness came to me. And he comforted me and he will comfort you. Dr. Truett said, The first mother did more for the second than I could ever done. Maybe in days or in months, he couldn't have done as much as that other mother did to her by travelling the road, suffered by herself. However, <clears throat> Paul made it clear that we do not need to experience exactly the same trials in order to be able to share God's encouragement. If we experience God's comfort, then we can comfort them which are in any trouble. Of course, if we experience similar tribulations, they can help us <coughs> identify better with others and, and know better how they feel. But our experiences cannot alter the comfort of God. That remains sufficient and efficient um, no matter what our experiences may be. Later in, uh, later in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, <clears throat> Paul gives us an example of this principle where he's given a, a thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical suffering that's constantly buffeting him. And we do not know what this thorn of the flesh was. And we do not need to know. Now, what we do know was that Paul experienced the grace of God and then shared that encouragement with us. No matter what your trial may be, Second um, <clears throat> Corinthians twelve nine says, "My grace is sufficient for thee." It is a promise that you can claim. 
We would not have the promise if Paul had not suffered. The subject of, of uh, human suffering is not easy to understand. Uh, for there are mysteries. Sorry. There are mysteries to the working of God that we're never going to be able to grasp on this side of heaven. Sometimes, get it together. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin and rebellion, as did Jonah. He was uh, <clears throat> called to go one way and he went the opposite way. And so God had to put him through something to be able to bring him back on the right track. Sometimes we suffer from we suffer to keep ourselves from sinning, as was the case with, with Paul. Um, suffering can also perfect character in us. And to help us to be able to share in the character of God, it can develop, it can strengthen us to be, um, to be able to get through um, things he might be preparing for us in the future. But suffering can also help us to be able to minister to others. In every church there are mature saints of God who have suffered and experienced God's grace. And they are great encouragers in the congregation. Paul experienced trouble, not as punishment for something that he had done, but as preparation for something yet he was going to do, which was be able to minister to others in need. Just think of the trials that King David had to endure in order to give us the great encouragement that we find in Psalms. <clears throat> Verse 7 here makes it clear that we are to always, um, that there was always the possibility that the situation might be reversed. The Corinthian believers might go through trials and receive God's grace so that they might be able to encourage others. God sometimes calls a church family to go and experience special trials in order that they might be able to bestow uh, on them a special abundant grace. God's gracious encouragement helps us if we learn to endure. Patient endurance is an evidence of faith. If we become bitter or critical of God, if we rebel instead of submit, then our trials will work against us instead of for us. The ability to endure difficult difficulties patiently without giving up is a mark of spiritual maturity. God <clears throat> has to work in us before he can work through us. Uh, it is much easier for us to be able to grow in knowledge than it is to, to grow in grace. Learning God's truth and getting it into our head is one thing, um, but living God's truth and getting it into our hearts and getting it into our character so it becomes part of us is something quite different. We can easily fill ourselves, and if you've grown up in a church, it's easy to have a head knowledge, but it's different to be able to translate it into a heart knowledge. <clears throat> Verse 
And God, God put young Joseph through 13 years of tribulation before he made him the second ruler of Egypt. And what a great man Joseph turned out to be. God always prepares us for what he is preparing us for. And a part of that preparation is suffering. In this light, 2 Corinthians 5 is very, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5 is very important. Even our Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer. When we suffer in the will of God, we are sharing the sufferings of the Saviour. This does not refer to his vicarious sufferings on the cross as only he could die as a sinless substitution for us. Paul was referring here to the fellowship of his sufferings. The the trials that we endure because like Christ we were faithfully doing the Father's will. This is suffering for righteousness' sake. But as the sufferings increase, so does the supply of God's grace. The word abound suggests the picture of a river overflowing. Um, but he but he giveth more grace, James four six. This is an important principle to grasp. God has ample grace for our every need. But he's not going to bestow it in advance. So you don't get it, you don't get all that grace from day one. He gives it out as you need it. He's got ample grace for everyone, but he's not going to be able to give it in advance. We come by faith to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help in times of need. The Greek word means help when you need it, timely help. God will give you help when you need it. There was a, a devoted believer who was arrested for his faith and condemned to be burnt at the stake. And the night before his execution, he wondered if he would have enough grace to be able to become a human torch. So he tested his courage by putting his finger to the flame of a candle. And of course it burnt him and it hurt and he pulled his finger back in pain. And he was certain that he wasn't going to be able to face this martyrdom without failing. But the next day, God gave him grace that he needed. And he had a joyful and triumphant witness before all his enemies. Now we can better understand verse 9 here. uh, For if we could store up God's grace for emergency use, if we could get all the grace and have it all in, 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 in reserve there, we'd be prone to trust ourselves and not to, to trust in the God of all grace. All the resources God gives us um, may be kept for future use. So it might be money and food and knowledge and that sort of stuff, but the grace of God cannot be stored away. We can't keep holding it up for a rainy day. Rather, as we experience the grace of God in our daily lives, it is invested into our lives as godly character. God invests that grace into us to be able to develop us, to, to grow, for us to be able to grow and strengthen and, and um, develop as he wants us to be able to do that. I mean, he gives it and we develop as we go along and uh, be able to, to work through that. And uh, this investment pays dividends with when new troubles come our way. 
for godly character enables us to be able to endure our tribulation uh, to the glory of God. So there is a companionship to suffering. It can draw us closer to Christ uh, and closer to his people. But if we start to wallow in self-pity, suffering will create isolation instead of involvement. Uh, We will build walls and, and, and not bridges. The important thing is to fix our attention on God and not on ourselves. So we need to remember what God is to you. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We need to remember what God does for you, that he is able to handle your trials and make them work out for your good and his glory. And finally, remember what God does through you and let him use you to be an encouragement to others. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and its encouragement to us. And we thank you that you, uh, <clears throat> you are the God of all grace and mercy and, and you love us and you have a plan for each of us, Lord, and you uh, allow us to go through things, uh, you, but you are still in control and uh, you are there waiting for us to be able to hand the reins over to you, Lord, and pray that you would all encourage each one here this evening to be able to keep striving on for you, keeping their eyes fixed on, on you, Lord, and, and being encouraged from your word and through prayer and uh, encouraging, giving praise and thanks and glory and honour to you each each and every day. We pray that you would be with them as they go and encourage them throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.